bringing a cell or gene therapy to market is an art. Hear Veristat thought leaders as they draw on their specialized expertise to offer insight on timely, relevant clinical development topics. Welcome to our podcasts, Advancing Revolutionary Therapies, a podcast presented by the Centre for Excellence for Cell and Gene Therapies by Veristat. My name is Rachel Smith. I'm a Portfolio Director here at Veristat, and I work with our clients in cell and gene therapies, providing operational excellence from strategic consulting to clinical trials and post-marketing commitments. Today, I'll be discussing post-marketing requirements. Now, for cell and gene therapies, it's rarely the case that sponsors will have a comprehensive data set at the time of BLA submission in the US or MAA submission in the EU. This is particularly true for therapies in rare disease where patient populations are particularly small and for therapies where we have that 15-year follow-up requirement. I'm pleased to say that for these reasons, regulators really have taken a pragmatic approach for approvals of these therapies, but almost always require some form of post-marketing study. So the objective of today's podcast is to define the types of post-marketing requirements and how these can be implemented in practice. And I'm going to focus on the European process because they do offer conditional approval, which is much more flexible than the accelerated approval process available through FDA. Under the EMA process, most cell and gene therapies will be submitted for conditional marketing approval as they will fall under the criteria of medicinal products without comprehensive data intended for the treatment, prevention or medical diagnosis of seriously debilitating or life-threatening diseases and they will fulfil an unmet medical need, they will have a favourable risk-benefit balance and the benefits of immediate availability of the product will outweigh the risks related to the additional data still being required. And on top of that, the expectation is that the sponsor or applicant will likely be able to provide a full comprehensive data set at some point. Conditional marketing approvals, the post-marketing commitments are agreed with the agency as part of the risk management plan, which forms part of the MAA submission. And that approval is reviewed annually. Conditionally approved products are anticipated to be converted to a full standard approval once post-marketing commitments are met. Now, there are three types of post-marketing requirements that can be requested by the EMA. So the first is a post-authorization safety study, or PASS. The second is a post-authorization efficacy study, or PACE. And the third and final post-authorization measures, PAMS. We'll start with PASS. So a PASS is defined as any study related to an authorised medicinal product conducted with the aim of identifying, characterising or quantifying a safety hazard, confirming the safety profile of the medicinal product or measuring the effectiveness of risk management measures. So you can see why these are often requested for cell and gene therapies. PASS studies can be interventional, but more often than not, they are non-interventional. Essentially, We can look at these as prospective registry studies for patients treated with commercial product. The intention is to observe these patients in a standard of care setting and monitor any potential safety signals post-treatment for either 5 or up to 15 years depending on your product type. Thinking about the therapies approved in 2020, so we have Tocartis, Zorgensma and Libmaldi, and those approved to date in 2021, Skysona and Abecma, Every single product has required some form of past study 
to demonstrate long-term safety and also as a tool for continued assessment of efficacy, particularly in those in the rare disease arena where the patient populations were to begin with. A PACE study is similar to PASS in that it tends to be a prospective registry study for patients treated commercially, but the key difference is that these studies are only requested if there are any concerns on any aspect of product efficacy, which can only be resolved post-market. For example, in rare diseases, accessing a wider population with potentially greater comorbidities or more severe disease, or where the understanding of the disease or the clinical methodology or the use of the product under real-life conditions could impact on that initial efficacy evaluation that was established as part of your clinical development plan. A real key example over the past few years is Zorgensma. Zorgensma, at the point of marketing authorization, required several PACE studies um, to demonstrate efficacy in the patient population, so in spinal muscular atrophy or SMA. Now, this was specifically for SMA patients younger than six months and in pre-symptomatic SMA patients younger than six weeks, and both with specific genetic subtypes of the disease. These PACE studies were actually requested as the clinical trial data had been limited in these groups. It is a rare disease um, with SMA, and obviously we are talking about these genetic subtypes of the condition as well. Now, with Solgensma, the reason it was approved is that it had the potential to offer exceptional benefit. We're talking about a therapy that potentially allows for babies who might not otherwise reach their second birthday to potentially be cured of their condition. So you can see here the, the risk benefit here and why Zorgensma was approved for these conditions. Now, PASS and PACE studies can fall under a third category of post-authorization measures or PAMS. But PAMS may also encompass other conditions like provision of the 15-year long-term follow-up data, as was the case with Skysona, or provision of data from ongoing studies, as was requested for Abecma, or even tackle things like manufacturing or assay validation. For example, with Libmaldi, one of the conditions was to reduce the product testing release timelines for patients. One other example of a PAM that springs to mind is with an older product that at the time of approval, there were no validated assays for insertion site analysis for the type of vector used in gene therapy. So as part of the risk management plan at the time, it was agreed with the agency that a method would be developed, validated, and then used to retrospectively test samples from clinical trial patients and patients treated commercially. So only by working collaboratively with the agency was it possible to actually allow a therapy that had offered true benefit to the patients to get to those patients who needed it most. Now, this was a really important case because working in cell and gene therapies, as, as everyone will know, we are at the cutting edge of medicine and quite often we will be facing similar obstacles where the science might not quite be there yet, but we're moving to market because we do have something that could truly benefit the patient population that we're working in. So the podcast today is intended to be a high-level overview of post-market requirements in Europe. The take-home message is to assume post-market data will be required and include a plan for the prospective registry study and provision of ongoing study or long-term follow-up data in both your clinical development plan and marketing package. But most of all, work with the regulators. We're all working to a common goal um, to improve the lives of patients by ensuring safe and effective therapies access. 
And by keeping the conversation going throughout your clinical development process, you can ensure that you're on the same page as the regulators and guarantee success when it comes to marketing and post-marketing commitment. Ferrostat managed the clinical trials for the first gene therapy to be approved in the Western world. And as trailblazers, we continue to be actively involved at the cutting edge of this field. We encourage you to listen to future episodes of the podcast as we delve deeper into some of these issues and other important topics in cell and gene therapy. I hope this has been valuable to you. Please reach out to our expert teams with the links available on the Ferrostat website should you have any questions and we'll be back talking to you very soon. Don't miss an episode. Subscribe on your favorite podcast player and look for our other Cell and Gene podcasts at cellandgene.expert.com.